Hello everyone, welcome to the third episode of the Farmer's Market, a Dynasty Baseball podcast brought to you by Sports Ethos. I'm your host, Andrew DeSegli. For our third episode here, I thought we can get into something a little more casual and laid back. So I went out and posted on my Twitter, which is at Andrew underscore FBB, an opportunity for my followers to send in some questions for a mailbag episode that I would discuss on here. And I'm very excited to see what kind of questions we have in store for today. So without further ado, let's dive right in. The first question we have in store, Yandy Diaz, Josh Naylor, Reese Hoskins, Spencer Steer. Who plays first base for me next year? For me here, it just goes down to process of elimination. And no offense to Reese Hoskins or Spencer Steer, great players. But the two off the bat for me, just for next season alone, Yanni Diaz and Josh Naylor right away. Um, Josh Naylor has been incredible this year, batting 306, nearly 80 RBIs, just went on the aisle, unfortunately. But he's just raked and been an RBI machine. Same with Yanni Diaz, has had another career year, just like Josh Naylor is having. Batting 317, 16 homers, 56 RBIs, career high power output for Yandy, kind of unprecedented in a way. But between those two, I'd probably have to go Josh Naylor for next year for the first baseman I would choose. You know, younger in Dynasty in general, always always more valuable. Even just the retrospect of next year, great, great option between the two. I'll go Josh Naylor for this one, though. Our next question when drafting a startup, how do you balance going for it in year one versus the long term? So it was really a great question. And I recently just had two dynasty startups this year. And the best thing I could say you could do is go for a mix in between the two. Find some good foundation of young guys in the early rounds that you can really depend on. You know, generational talents are always hard to come by. But I usually go for the young guys in the early rounds and then surround them with, you know, reliable veterans for example in the first round of my dynasty startup this year i drafted i made sure i got kyle tucker and if not wasn't going to get him it was going to be jordan alvarez and the later rounds i made sure to pick up you know like the Cattell martes guys like that but i feel like the best way to do it is to go for a mix of vets and young guys but the young guys for me personally i would rather have them be the stars of my team the young guys opposed to drafting you know a mike trout in the early rounds and then relying on his health, which is always a concern every single year. But I would say that's the best thing for me. And always, you know, do your research on prospects. That's what usually wins championships in dynasty sports, knowing which young guys are going to be better for a longer period of time. So I would definitely say that's probably one of the most important things. And yeah, those are just, just you know, being educated on the young guys is always going to be going to prevail in dynasty. So getting into our next question, one of my followers wanted some Riley Green talk. He asked if he would have a better career than Torkelson, and is Julio Rodriguez a good comp for Riley Green? Really good recommendation here to talk about. I love Riley Green personally. I really had him as a sleeper for the second half, a really big breakout candidate. You know, he battled injuries more than most in early in his career. A few different long-term injuries he's dealt with. Um, but he's had a really great year, batting 301, 10 home runs, 27 RBIs, and six stolen bases and 337 plate appearances. Solid all-around numbers, all categories he's producing. But I don't know. I wouldn't say Julio Rodriguez is the best comp for him. I would say a poor man's Julio 
and that's not a knock on Riley Green at all. Who Rodriguez? I don't. I personally think Rodriguez is just having a down year and still a generational talent. Probably closer to Acuna than Riley Green is closer to Julio Rodriguez. But the one thing Green has proved this year in 2023 is that he is for real as an MLB player. He did struggle a bit last year, batting just 253 in 93 games. But this year he's fared well. He's 290 XBA, 49.8 hard hit percentage. The only thing he really needs to improve on, as many young guys do in the league, is the strikeout rate. 28% is just way too high if you want to take his game to the next level. But to answer the second part of your question with the Julio comp, I would say the best comp I could think of off the top of my head is probably a Grady Sizemore type. You know, Grady Sizemore is a great player, but that's, that's the comparison I get from this Riley Green situation. The next question we have, are Gavin Lux and Miguel Vargas going to be the infield of the future for the Dodgers? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to really argue that Gavin Lux and Vargas won't be a part of the Dodgers' long-term plans and long-term output in the infield positions. Um, the only thing I'm worried about is Gavin Lux's injury. You know, tearing ACL is always going to be hard to come back by. And the, the Dodgers have a few nice pieces in the minors. Michael Bush, I personally like him over Gavin Lux to man either short or second. Whichever they des- they decide to do with those pieces is obviously up to them. But Michael Bush is a really good player, and I just it's a shame what's happening to him in AAA. 25 years old at this point, but batting 326 with 22 home runs and 75 RBIs and just 78 games with a 20% strikeout rate and a 14% walk rate. Michael Bush is such a nice player, such a good player, and I really hope he sees playing time and is going to be a part of those future plans with Vargas and Lux. But Vargas really struggled, you know, and that first stint was really, really bad, and I was advocating for him even during those struggles, and he never seemed to turn it around, so they had to send him down to AAA. He batted 195 with seven home runs, 32 RBIs, and 304 plate appearances. You know, just a real struggle for him. But, you know, the biggest upside, undeniable, with Miguel Vargas is the plate discipline. Being a rookie, that's the most impressive thing that I've saw from him so far. Being a rookie and having a 20% strikeout rate and a 12.5% walk rate is just extremely impressive, you know. They they got a, they have a nice nice core coming up from the Dodgers, you know throw throw Jorbit Vivas in that mix, really good player I like him a lot too for next year and I think he can make an appearance at some point, and my preferable infield would probably be out of these those four would be Vivas, Var, uh, Vargas and Bush, those are the three I really like in the, out of those four. I'm not too big on Gavin Lux especially coming off that unfortunate injury. But that's, an, that's a person to keep an eye on, Jorbit Vivas. You know, he batted 281 with 12 home runs and 18 stolen bases in AA this year at 22 years old. 11% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate, almost one-to-one ratio. You know, he's a really good player as well. Those are the three I would like to see in the Dodgers infield for the future, though. For our next question, we have, is Junior Comanero as safe as a prospect as Wander Franco was? This is a really, really great comparison and question. Um, I would say they're pretty neck and neck, but I would say Wander was a little bit safer than Comanero. You know, with the 2020 season, Wander jumped straight from high A to triple A, still dominated at 20 years old, batted 313 with seven home runs and five stolen bases with just, just under a 12% strikeout rate. It's just incredible for a 20-year-old. But Comanero's 
how far behind him. 19 in double A. 291 batting average, 7 home runs, 2 stolen bases, 30 RBIs. Strikeout rate's just under 20. I would say Wander was was a bit safer than Cominero, in my opinion. Um, and I still think Wander has a lot left to prove. I love Wander. He, he was having a great year until, you know, the whole ball flip incident. But, yeah, I would say I would go Wander a little bit safer in that aspect. He, he batted over 300 at every single level in the minors. Cominero got hot for... Um, high a hit a lot of home runs for them up to 11 in just 36 games i don't want to say slowed down for double a but it's just seven home runs in 52 games compared to the 11 and 36 he got a bit hot in high a which allowed him to have that higher power output but yeah long long answer short i'm going wander as more of a safer prospect than common era in my opinion let's move on to our next question which pitcher do you think is going to break out the last six weeks of the season yeah the pitcher i'm going to go with here for breakout and the breakout i'm referring to is relative to their season output i'm going to go aaron nola probably one of the most disappointing adp prices on draft day but down the stretch i think aaron nola is going to own the season he had a pretty good start today you know he went Five innings, five hits, one run, one walk, and struck out six, induced 12 whiffs. But there's there's a lot of underlying metrics that support him bouncing back. And he has a 3.86 XERA, one of the better walk percentages in the league at around a little over five. Pairing that with his bread and butter strikeout rate, 25.1 is very solid and one of his strong suits in general. This is a perfect opportunity if, if you're looking to buy someone low or buy a pitcher low. Aaron Ola is my pick for a breakout pitcher for the last six weeks of the season. Moving on, let's go to the next question. I can only keep six of the following in order I plan on keeping them. Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kyle Tucker, Corey Seager, Jordan Walker, Yuri Perez, Christian Encarnacion Strand, in that order. You'd keep... Or should I keep Yuri over Jordan Walker? So based on the crop that you're already keeping of the six, I would personally say keep Yuri Perez over Jordan Walker in the situation, considering you know you're already keeping five hitters out of the six. And in my opinion, in general, Yuri Perez is probably the better prospect than Jordan Walker with a way higher ceiling. Just had an incredible year this year, only 20 years old and put up a 2.79 ERA in 12 games started this year at the major league level at 20 years old is really just an incredible thing to do. 28.8% strikeout rate. The walk percentage was only at 8.1. It's not much more you could ask for out of the pro- out of the prospect coming into the bigs and just, you know, shoving that fast and just being that, that good that quickly. Um, Yeah, especially for an 18-team league, I'm going Yuri Perez over Jordan Walker in this situation. Jumping into our next question, we have Dynasty Prospect Trade. The Miz versus Noah Schultz. Went down 14-team, head-to-head points dynasty. What you got for me? This is a really, really good one, in my opinion. This is a really interesting trade. Um, both Schultz and Mizorowski are just physical specimens. Schultz is at 6'9", and Mizorowski at 6'7". Um, for this trade specifically, I think I'm going to go The Miz and Mizorowski. He ran into some trouble so far after being promoted to double A in four starts. He has 
a 7.8 ERA with a 6.55 FIP and a 6.43 XFIP. Um, what really makes me say him in this trade is the strikeout upside. It's undeniable. 14.4 Ks per nine. He really just needs to hunker down on the walks. He needs to lower that a little bit. 7.8 walks per nine. It's really not good. That's a, a big flaw to have at the AA level. Um, really lively fastball and a really nice, potentially game-changing slider for Mizorowski. Um, and I really like the way Milwaukee develops pitching prospects. You know, you see what they do with Woodruff and Corbin Burns. Aaron Ashby is another guy I like over there. Um, Schultz is a good player, though. Schultz, in nine starts for single A, has a 1.52 ERA in 23.2 innings pitched. But another guy, another guy with high upside in the strikeout category, 12.55 Ks per nine. The, both of these guys are really talented pitchers, but the only thing that concerns me is the six foot nine frame a little bit. That's a tough build. Both of them, that's a tough build to really stay healthy with. The, the most recent guy with that type of build, we could say, is Yuri Perez, Tyler Glass now. Glass now dealing with injuries a lot because of the big frame. Um, I Yeah, I'm going to go Mizorowski here. I really like what Milwaukee does. And I think that's that's the slight winner in this trade, especially in Dynasty. So that's where I'm going to go in this uh, specific question. So for the next question, a follower asked, thoughts on these values in Dynasty? Josh Lowe, Cody Ballinger, Lucas Giolito, Tyler Skubal in the long term of things. And also he said, how concerned are you with Trey Turner going forward? So really good value questions here. Um, first on Josh Lowe. I think his value was a bit inflated coming into the season. I saw a lot of people really hyping him up on my timeline and all over Twitter. Um, the tools are there for sure. He's a good home run stolen base guy in the long term. But, you know, we saw it this year. The Tampa Bay Rays really refuse to play guys consistently. They, they go more of the analytical route and want to play righty lefties, and they really do the matchup stuff a lot. So it's really hard to trust, trust Josh Lowe going forward. Um... But yeah, I think I think he has some upside for sure. In my preseason overall top 300 dynasty rankings, I think I had him coming in, yeah, around two, 242 is where I had him preseason. I think he's played much better, obviously, than he played last year. So I think he jumps into my top 150. But towards the back end of that, um, I'm not really fully buying the hype just yet. I want to see them consistently play him more, and then I'll put him into my top 100 if if the the um, numbers translate to the playing time and all that so moving to the next guy in the value question cody bellinger you know the sweetheart we've all seen this season the sweetheart story um bellinger really really resurrected his career this year in chicago he's up to 17 home runs 17 stolen bases batting 327 in terms of value his value is just is way up his value of course but for me he's he's a strong sell in my opinion in dynasty right now I think this is the best season we're going to see out of him since that 47 home run season back in 2019. Um, I don't see this going on for much longer. I I don't see the 327 average sticking. The home runs and stolen bases is is for real. That's something he's always been pretty solid at. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not buying the average output. He's only batted over 300 that one year and this year. The rest he's below 270 every single year. Yeah, I'm looking to sell Bellinger right now, but the value is definitely up from what it was. Complete 180 from what he did the last two seasons opposed to this year. The next person he asked about in the value question, we have Lucas Giolito. Um, for Dynasty, I don't have much interest in Giolito. Um, I was really high on him 
when he was traded in that in that offseason to um, Chicago. But, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of encouraging things out of him over the past couple seasons. Um, he's basically just regressed every single year. Um, this year he sits at 4.37 ERA, 4.61 XERA, and 21 starts, 6-6 six and six record, 121 in- innings pitched. He's just really never figured out a good um, secondary pitch. It's just the fastball has been only his, his only good pitch in his arsenal practically. Um, the slider, negative 8 run value. That's just that's horrific. I'm not really liking Giolito long term. It's a good thing that he got out of Chicago, as we saw the ports from Kenyon Middleton, you know, the no rules, all that. It's kind of insane what's going on over there in Chicago. But I don't have a ton of interest in Giolito in the long term. If you have him, I would look to dump him for any sort of prospect, low-level prospect, anything. I don't think he's going to offer much value going forward. All in all, I'm not really too in on Lucas Giolito and Dynasty for the long term. So I'd look to move on from him if possible. The next player you asked about is Tariq Skubal. What type of value are you looking at in the long term for him? I was really big on Skubal going into last season, and he pitched really, really well. In 21 starts, he had a 3.52 ERA and a 7-8 record. 3.34 XERA, struck out around 117 batters and just walked 32. Great command from him. After the Tommy John, he's looked pretty good. I, I don't think he's 100% there yet. What's funny is his velocity is actually higher than it was before he got Tommy John. He's up to around 96 miles per hour for the fastball when he was at 94 last year. So I'm really I'm liking him going forward. He has good fastball slider combination. Preseason for my rankings in Dynasty came around 160, but I think with knowing that he looks good after the injury and him pitching good before the injury, I think that puts him into my top 120, 100 range around that area. He's a good arm going forward, and I think Detroit has a lot of good young pieces coming up, so I think now's a good time to buy low on Scooble still. People might not be fully bought in. And I'd take a flyer on him if I had the prospect um, buying power to do so. Yeah, but I'm 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 in on Tariq Skubal going forward. The last player he asks about in this question: How concerned are you with Trey Turner going forward? Short answer: I am not nervous in the slightest about Trey Turner going forward. Yes, this year was an absolute disaster for Trey Turner, and disaster for all owners who invested in redraft and. Uh, consensus first overall pick he had a really down year 243 batting average 12 home runs 22 stolen bases which in the in the grand scheme of fantasy baseball that's not a horrible season but you know investing that he was usually across all draft boards a consensus number one overall pick yeah disappointing season out of trey turner very understood in that in that aspect but for dynasty going forward i'm not worried at all we're talking about a guy who's a career 295 hitter even after just hitting 243 this season i'm not worried he's an elite hitter people should have expected some some sort of dip in his numbers first year in a big contract in another big market in a long-term deal there comes some pressure with that it happened to trevor story his first year with boston we just saw it i'm not worried about trey turner Next year, I think you buy the dip right now. Next year, I think he's going to have a fine season. He'll probably bet somewhere closer to 280, hit closer to 15 to 20 home runs, and steal 30 bases. I don't think he'll ever reach the top three consensus draft pick and fantasy redraft ever again, but he's going to be a first-round talent after next year is all said and done. 
So let's move on to our next question. We have thoughts on Jonathan Aranda. How do you see his career playing out, player comps and such? And also with the trade deadlines coming up and no clarity, how are you treating Shane McClanahan right now? I'm in first place, but I can't afford to lose my ace for nothing. For the first part of your question, Jonathan Aranda, I'm personally not too high on him. He's been up to the majors twice in the past two years. 2022, he played 32 games in the majors, batted 192 with a 27% strikeout rate, 9% walk rate, and a 128 ISO. This year in July, he made an appearance for four games, had 15 at-bats, just mustered up two hits, struck out 40% of the time, and had a 200 batting average. A little bit on the older side, Aranda, he's 25 right now, but I don't, I'm not too big on, I'm not too big on him. The player comp I see right now is fellow teammate would be Isaac Paredes. He's shown a little bit of pop this year, 20 home runs in AAA in 92 games. But the, the main issue I have is he's already 25, up and down with the MLB, making his debut. And the in my opinion, the Rays are just not great with the the hitting prospects. They they seem to just not do them justice fully. Like Josh Lowe, Juan Franco does the shenanigans with the ball, whatever. I didn't really care too much for it. He wants to do that and make the play, go ahead. But they benched him in and out to make a point, and he's been slumping ever since. But they just don't really seem to do the the young guys justice. Manzardo got shipped away. Should have been called up a long time ago. They like to find their prototypical, I like to call them Dollar Tree bin guys. They find guys who are next to nothing value and bring them in and make them good, like Yandy Diaz, Isaac Paredes, like I just said. But I'm not too big on Aranda going forward. I think there's there's better prospects out there that you can get, and you could even just trade him right now. But I just see him stuck in that purgatory of, you know, really good AAA player, but gets the league, and it's just a little harder to translate for him. But moving on to the second part of your question, no clarity with the Shane McClanahan issue. There hasn't really been anything set in stone just quite yet, but I'm suspecting Tommy John, and I'm suspecting that's going to cost him all of next year. In Dynasty, there's really nothing you can do with Shane McClanahan right now. If you want to sell him, it's going to be your pennies on the dollar. And I, in my opinion, it's really just not worth it. You're saying you're in first place and you can't afford to lose your ace for nothing. Unfortunately, that's looking like what's going to happen. I really wouldn't recommend trading McClanahan. You're really going to get nothing for him. But just hold. Hold and just hope he returns to form as the pitcher he once was. That's all I can really say on the McClanahan situation. Just got to be patient going forward with him. So let's move on to our next question. We have any sleeper outfield prospects possibly looking at an ETA of 2024. And I'm looking to trade two of Leiter, DL Hall, and Andrew Painter. Need outfield bats big time. Any targets you could see in a one-for-one -one trade for any of these guys. So in terms of deep outfield sleepers, I have a few. The first one with 2024 ETA would be Parker Meadows of the Detroit Tigers uh, organization. In AAA this year, in 106 games, Parker Meadows slashed 260 with 18 home runs, 18 stolen bases, and 62 RBIs. He had 24% strikeout rate and 11% walk rate, and a 217 ISO. You know, big 6'5 frame lefty Parker Meadows. I really like what he's put together in AAA this year, and I think he could help the club in 2024. 23 years old. Um, a lot of a lot of nice things about him. Former second round pick. But that's the first of my three sleepers. Next I have, might not be an ETA of 2024, but this is a long-term investment, both of these next two. I have Josu DePaula of the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
He's just 18 years old, playing in single A. He's batted 281 this year with a home run, 11 stolen bases, and 27 RBIs. The biggest thing for me when evaluating DePaula, the plate discipline is off the charts. In the DSL, the Dominican Summer League, he had a 14% strikeout rate and a 14.3% walk rate. He had a higher walk rate than strikeout rate in the Dominican Summer League. This year in single A, not exactly the same, but just a 16% strikeout rate and 11.8% walk rate. Such good play discipline for an 18-year-old kid in single A. It's very impressive, and he has some very raw power output. So I, I would expect the, the counting stats to be up going forward for the home runs, but the speed is there, the average is there, the hit tool is there, and the patience is all there for DePaula. And that's a big sleeper I really have going forward. I'm surprised he wasn't in the top 100 for the new prospect updates in Baseball America. Moving on to my last outfield sleeper. Like I said, this is not going to be a 2024 ETA. But like I said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, the biggest thing is not having band-aids for positions of need. You need to find guys that will be foundational pieces for your team and dynasty team in the long term. And that third option in this sleeper list, which I think can be one of those staples for your team, Jason Shorio, Jackson Shorio's younger brother. He's in the CPX right now, but he's batting 361 with one home run and 17 stolen bases. Another thing, the same thing I'm always looking for, plate discipline. In the CPX as an 18-year-old, he has a 19.5% strikeout rate and a 20.7 walk rate. That is really, really good percentages out of just an 18-year-old kid like DePaula. The plate discipline is something that is the biggest hurdle for most young guys to overcome when going through those levels. So when you have it at such a young age, it's easier to add other tools to the arsenal. The power output isn't quite there. He doesn't have as much pop as his brother Jackson right now, but I think that's going to come with time. Jackson drastically improved as he got double A and as his body matured. But Jason is a switch hitting outfielder standing at 6-1 with already unreal speed tool and some raw power. I think it'll get there. But this is my three outfield sleepers I'm looking at right now going forward. Parker Meadows has the ETA of 2024 like you asked about. But looking at the second half of your question, you're looking to trade two of the pitchers, Lighter, Hall, and Painter. You need outfield help, like you said previously. I'm personally not looking to trade Andrew Painter right now. I know the Tommy John surgery is very discouraging. I think they should just put him under the knife right away when the elbow and forearm sort of emerged at the, from the jump. But I'm looking to trade Lighter and Hall out of the three, you said. In a one-for-one scenario, if you need immediate outfield help, one of the biggest buy lows for me right now is Bryce Harper. Still has outfield eligibility, first base eligibility. I would look to see if you can get Give two of those pitching prospects for Bryce if it's doable. DL Hall is someone I'm looking to sell immediately. I don't think he'll make it to the pros as a starter. I think he's going to be a long reliever option. Leiter has struggled immensely so far in his minor league career, someone I was very high on coming out of college. Um, but those are the two I trade in this situation if you're looking for immediate outfield help. So we got two more questions to go here. Let's jump into the next one. We got got to choose between Oscar Colas Lawrence Butler or Jared Jones 12 team dynasty so for this one it's a uh, pretty simple for me it depends if you need pitching depth you obviously go to Jared Jones here but between the two outfielders Oscar Colas and Lawrence Butler personally I think I'm going Lawrence Butler for this one Oscar Colas has really struggled so far at the MLB level batting 217 with three home runs 13 RBIs and four stolen bases through 52 games the strikeout rate is pretty high at 27.2 
and just a 5% walk rate. And the power hasn't really translated through his first 52 games in the major league level. He has a .078 ISO after posting a plus 200 ISO both this year and last year in the minors. Um, I like what Lawrence Butler has to offer, really, I do. Six foot four outfielder, great athlete. In the AAA level this year, he batted 280 with five home runs, 23 RBIs, and eight stolen bases. Strikeout rate only at 19%, which is great. I always rave about a low strikeout rate, especially with young guys. 8.5% walk rate, pretty good. And a 232 ISO for AAA. That's a little above his career mark. He was at 198 for high A and 180 ISO for double A. So I wouldn't expect a crazy amount of power output from Lawrence Butler. But the speed is there. He's a great athlete. He's hit for average almost at every single level. I think there's a very high floor for him. And like I said before, if you need pitching depth, you just go Jared Jones here. There's not much more competition. He has some bright spots too. He pitched pretty decent for AAA this year. Not on the surface, but he has a 5.44 ERA, but has a 3.84 FIP and a 4.44 XFIP. So the underlying numbers are a little bit better than the surface level numbers for Jared Jones. So yeah, if you need the pitching depth, go Jones here. But outfield, I'm going Lawrence Butler, and then I'm going Colas after that is my last option on this list. So let's wrap up here with our final question. Should I trade Pete Alonzo in Dynasty? Short answer to this one for me, no way I'm trading Alonzo right now. His value as a collective on the season is probably at an all-time low as it's ever been. And I have full faith in him to turn it around, which he's already started to have done so far. On July 25th, I had a tweet I sent out about buying Alonzo low. And since that tweet, he's really just picked up immensely. Since July 25th, he's batting 310 with 9 home runs, 24 RBIs, a 13% strikeout rate, an 11.6% walk rate, and a 500 ISO. The power output from Alonzo and the skill altogether is just undeniable. I'm holding Alonzo right now. There's no way I would trade him because you're not going to get exactly what you want. You're not going to get exactly what you should get for a player of his caliber, a player who can walk in and just hit 30 home runs with his eyes closed is pretty hard to come by in today's game. Yeah, there's no way I trade Alonzo right now. Still just 28 years old. He's a lot of baseball left in the tank, a lot of good years left in the tank where he'll be hitting home runs. Um, yeah, I'm holding here for sure. And with that question, that wraps up our mailbag episode. I really appreciate all you sending in questions, and I want to do another one of these soon. I really enjoy doing the Q&As. I'm your host, Andrew DeSegli. This is the Farmer's Market, a Dynasty Baseball podcast brought to you by Sports Ethos. And stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you for listening.